Well, you know, you know how sometimes on a Sunday morning, uh, the Bible passage for the service is uh, perhaps a, a whole chapter from the Bible, and reading the passage can take nearly as long as the sermon, yeah? Well, I don't think that's going to be a problem today, as our reading this morning is just one verse. And what a great verse of hope and mercy it is. We're looking at Jonah chapter 3, verse 10 today. Let me read it to you. When God saw what they, that's the people of Nineveh, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Let me read it again. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Let me pray uh, before Stu comes to speak. Father God, we want to thank you for your word, the Bible. We want to thank you that it's so full of stories and times and moments in history that teach us about you and your love for us. Lord, the Bible is full. It's a great way of getting to know you and who you are, your characteristics, your power, your authority, your love. And Lord, today these verses just uh, shout out something of your great mercy. So Lord, as Stu comes to uh, expand on this passage now and, and comes to share with us, Lord, we pray that uh, our hearts would be filled with your mercy, Lord. Lord, help us to realise uh, how much we need that mercy. How, like uh, in the stories we've heard already today, how we've got the burdens and the, the struggles of, of sin and judgment in our lives. But you are a God of mercy. So Lord, bless this time now as we hear your word preached, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Stu. Well, good morning, saints. How are we? Very good. Um, so we're going to continue our, our series today uh, on Nineveh through the book of Jonah. And as you've just heard read, um, I've only got one verse, and that's found at the very end of chapter 3. But let me start today with a bit of a pop quiz. I mean, literally, it is a quiz about pop music. Watching a little bit too much Glastonbury, I think. Um, so, who can tell me what these five songs have all got in common? Don McLean's American Pie... Ultravox's Vienna, James uh, Oasis's Wonderwall, Adele's Rolling in the Deep. What have they all got in common? Oh, the minds are whirring around. What could it be? Are they on your Spotify playlist? They are not all on my Spotify playlist, but they should be. They are all great songs. Actually, the answer uh, is they all only made it to number two in the charts. I thought you'd get that from Ultravox's Vienna. Everyone, that's like a great quiz question. Only ever made it to number two. Okay. But these are all great songs, all standing the test of time. But all only ever made it to the second place spot. So let me ask you another question. 
Before we started our Nineveh series, if I were to ask you, name me one miracle that occurs in the book of Jonah, what would your answer have been? What's your number one? I'm pretty sure it would have been Jonah being swallowed by a big fish. There he is. Let's be clear. This part of the book is an incredible miracle. It's got mystery. Did he die? Didn't he? It makes a very memorable story to help us visualize parts of God's word. It makes a very pretty stained glass window, as you can see. And of course, there are many other reasons why this part of the book should never be forgotten. But if there's one thing that has stood out to me since studying this book and through our series on Nineveh, it's that the other miracle, the miracle likely to live in your number two spot in your mind for a long time, is the incredible revival of this great city. It's equally impressive and worthy of our study time and our remembrance. So the title of this week's talk is Revival, which is quite the title to live up to if you're taking it literally. But last week, Math finished with a question in verse 9, where the Ninevites were heard asking themselves, who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent. And our verse 10, as we read, definitely answers that question with a resounding yes. Yes, he will. He will relent. I'll be focusing on what happened in Nineveh today, but to be brutally honest, the more I looked at this, and the verse and the surrounding paragraphs and truly considered what actually happened here, the more I was actually pushed towards a focus of bringing out the character of God and ultimately how a revival like this manifests itself. Nineveh is a big city. I can't seem to actually get a definitive quantity of inhabitants. Some cite the 120,000 mentioned in the book, Others will tell you that was just the children, and actually tell you this city was like to have a greater population than Cardiff does today. Either way, wholesale repentance, and then putting their faith in God at this scale, as Math described last week, is incredible. Numbers aside, though, our verse today has the most significant detail of all for me, and that is God averting the just punishment for the way they had been living their sinful lives. God's relenting. I'm going to cheat and jump to the end a little here, because if there's one thing I pray you take away from this morning, it's the reminder that there is never, ever revival without first God's mercy. This is why I mentioned my want to consider the character of God. We would never see a revival of any sort, let alone the likes of what happened here in Nineveh, without first the incredible mercy of God. For me, here more than ever, we see tangible proof that God does not desire the death of the wicked, but rather we see his want that all should repent and believe his word and spend eternity with him. Amen? First, I want to recap a little on what Jonah said and how God actually uses that. So looking at this incredible event, it hammers home to me that God must be at the centre of any revival. Because to be frank, humanly speaking, I couldn't see how this sort of sermon from Jonah would do any sort of job in instigating revival. A few years ago, 
sorry, a few verses ago rather, Jonah delivered his speech. And I personally love the fact that in the original Hebrew, what he said was simply five words long. Translated into English, it's a few more, but only five words were spoken, or rather shouted, and we have a city-sized revival. Now I know immediately what you're thinking. What do we have to do to get Stu to preach with just five words on a Sunday morning? I hear you. But before we get hung up on that, let's remind ourselves of the scene some more. We have our reluctant preacher in Jonah. We have a sermon that's only five words long. And to be honest, the content of that sermon also isn't the most grace-focused of sentences either. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Cheery stuff. Actually, I'd read a number of scholars stating very clearly that you probably couldn't even call Jonah an evangelist. There's no good news. His mission is simply to deliver a really tough message. So when we've recognised, so when we have, sorry, a recognised prophet coming along and basically saying the end of your world is nigh, I think from the outside looking in, you have every right to look at this and ask the same question as our psalmist does in Psalm 77, when they say, had God forgotten to be gracious? Does he slam the door on his compassion? For those of us who know the character and love and grace of God and what it can do in people's lives, I think it's a fair question to ask. Why not come in, preach God's mercy? Why not shout out and remind them of his amazing grace? Is that not the kindling under the fire of an almighty revival? I think in short, the answer is it could be. But regardless of my questions, hearts, heart, sorry, regardless of my questions, hearts and minds of the Ninevites were visibly changed and won over for God. Not just one or two, but a citywide revival and an awakening as to who God is, how he has spoken to them, and simultaneously becoming acutely aware of their lives of sin, and ultimately their need for immediate repentance. Their wickedness and God's impending judgment was so close and so real to them, they simply had to respond. Absolutely incredible stuff. So the first thing I focused on when reading this was God's approach here and how the amazing happened. Immediately, I think deeply underpinning God's clear law on sin and his need to deal with the sin in our lives is the more subtle message of grace. The God who judges us is also the God who is able to pardon us. David's summary of the gospel message in Psalm 32 is, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives have lived in complete honesty. The thing we have to remember is that God is just to charge sinners like us for our sin. The good news is that for the sake of Christ, God is also able to not implicate the guilty. God's clear rule for sin has revealed our guilt to us. Paul says in Romans 3.19, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. 
As Matt again reminded us last week, the gospel message invites us to turn from our sinful ways with hope that God may relent from his threat of punishment. In just five Hebrew words, God's message through Jonah encapsulates the basic point of the ministry of the law. God doesn't excuse sin. He either punishes it in the sinner or on behalf of the sinner through his son. Look, I recognise this is starting to cut pretty deep. But let's be honest with ourselves. When you stop and you think about it, God's judgment and the reality of hell can be terrifying. But for believers, the gospel answers that fear. Christ has satisfied the divine justice for our trespasses and for our wrongdoings. In this part of our series, God has just relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon the Ninevites. His mercy has saved them. I was reminded by a commentary that when I was studying this that it's important to remember the Lord is not just the God merely of second chances, but the God who accepts even those who have squandered their entire lives in rebellious living. And like the Ninevites, I sure cling to that promise. If we're seeing this verse in chapter 3, verse 10, for the first time, or maybe chewing it over in detail for the first time this morning, then God's relenting here may also raise some questions for us. Like, did God actually change course? Was his mind or his character changed when Nineveh repented? After all, the NLT translation uses exactly that turn of phrase, right? He changed his mind. And looking at this briefly actually may help us better understand. So I'm going to be clear from the off. My view is that God's character doesn't change. He doesn't change or he doesn't choose to be this type of God one day, then something happens and then God decides to be different. The Bible states very clearly that God does not change. He's the same yesterday as today as forever. And actually when we have questions about the Bible, as Jacob often says, the best place to get the answer to your question is the Bible itself. And here the Bible helps us to see that this act of relenting judgment is very much aligned to the character of God. Because in the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 18, it says this. If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, to be torn down, destroyed, and if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. So look, before I get out of my depth here, using my own words to summarise this, the Got Questions website that Math pointed us to a little while ago puts it far more eloquently than I ever could. And it describes this picture like this. It says, At one time we were all enemies of God due to our sin. God warned us of the wages and consequences of sin in order to cause us to repent. When we repented and trusted Christ for salvation, God changed his mind about us. And now we are no longer enemies, but his beloved children. As it would be contrary to God's character to not punish us had we continued in sin, so it would be contrary to his character to punish us after we had truly repented. So does our change of heart or our repentance mean that God himself changes? No. No. If anything, our salvation points to the fact that God does not change. Because he had an if sorry, because had he not saved us for the sake of Christ, he would have acted contrary to his true merciful character. 
But if you're here and maybe hearing this for the first time, it's key to recognize that God is truly holy. He must be separate from sin. But he's also merciful and has made a way of escape for us from the punishment of sin. He sent Jesus to die on the cross so we don't have to suffer the punishment that our sins deserve. I'm always reminded when I read paragraphs like this of that scene from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when young Susan is in conversation to Mr. Beaver about Aslan being this great lion. And she says, Oh, is he, is he quite safe, this lion? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. But he's good. He's the king. Now, considering what Jonah's sermon means for North Cardiff, it's important for us to remember that God is patient, God is kind, and God is love. He wants us to put our trust in him and let him rescue us from this life of sin to a new life in him. Putting our faith in Christ to save us from this life can be a today thing for you because his mercy is new each and every day. You may be thinking, well, that's all great news to you. If it's that great, then why do people still reject this message? Why is there not a Nineveh-sized revival every week? The sad truth is, the rejection of Jesus and the message of salvation is sadly nothing new. In Matthew chapter 12, it says this, The people of Nineveh will stand up against the generation, this generation, on judgment day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. After Jonah preached, The Ninevites repented, but the Jewish leaders criticized Jesus rather than accepting what he said. Because of this, at the coming day of judgment, the Ninevites will condemn these Jewish leaders for failing to receive someone who is even greater than Jonah, and as such, more worthy of acceptance. The people of Nineveh were Gentiles like me and you, but they had more of an open heart to things of God than the religious people of Jesus' day. They essentially refuse to believe and receive the work of God right before their eyes. We may need to look deep inside our hearts today too to see if we are also rejecting Jesus' message of salvation that truly is worthy of our acceptance. So if the words given to Jonah by God can be used in this way, I'll ask the question, what can we pray for today? top of that list I think is to pray for an inward miracle to happen in people's hearts to pray for open hearts in people to accept Christ's word of truth the other week Rob Scott Cook challenged us to pray for those on our heart for me we should spend time praying for those who have not accepted Christ to have their hearts receptive of his message I think as part of the story shows a clear message to us that hearts of the Ninevites were opened and they were changed. It can happen today. It can happen to our loved ones. So please don't lose faith in that. You know, one of the greatest miracles that can be experienced is that of a person 
becoming deeply aware of their guilt before God. When a person's heart has been hard, unrepentant, and then suddenly, upon hearing the preaching of the word of God, the Holy Spirit convicts and we're awakened to the sinfulness inside us. Like, that is a true miracle. That is a God in action thing right there. You know, you may be sat here thinking that God can change some people's hearts too before the final judgment comes for sure, but he can't change mine. <laughs> I've been too terrible at times. I've done too much. Or simply right now, you want your heart to stay close to it all. But I'll repeat again, that God is good. His mercy is new each and every day. And it knows no limits. In 2 Peter 3, talking about the final day of judgment, it says this, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. But some people think he is. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. You are not out of God's mind or out the reach of his loving arms. Like with the Ninevites, God wants to relent of judgment on you and change his mind about you too. God does not take pleasure in judgment, but he delights in our salvation. No one loves a revival like this more than God. And hallelujah, he doesn't want to give us the punishment that our sin deserves but rather he longs to give us what we need, which is his grace. Like that's the type of father he is. Just constantly giving opportunity after opportunity for us to repent and turn to him and make the right choice. When people repent and turn toward God, no matter how evil they think they are, no matter how bad they have been, God shows mercy. God shows mercy. God is still the same today as he was in the day of revival in Nineveh. He delights in mercy. Micah 7. Who is a God like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You know, Nineveh had a reputation of housing some of the worst of the worst. For the people of that great city repented of their notoriously wicked ways and found grace in the arms of God. We want to see more of that miracle in our day today and in this city, don't we? Now I'm going to pray shortly for the Spirit to help people to recognize their sin, repent their ways and turn to God and find refuge in Him. Yes, judgment is coming. Yes, hell is real. Yes, that judgment was communicated very clearly to the Ninevites by a righteous God. But as this verse shows, he is merciful and he loves us. God's spirit has a power to accomplish unbelievable revival in the history of the world. And we pray for that same spirit to move in this region. You know, I've addressed a lot of today, perhaps more to those who may be seeing God's mercy in light or in this light rather, for the first time. But I think the other message here is for those of us who have actually followed Christ for a long time and asking ourselves the really difficult question. 
to those of us who are blessed to know salvation through Christ, the question is, are we willing to be merciful like our Father? Like, are we willing to be merciful like God? Think for a second before you automatically say yes. As we look a little bit about what this is going to entail. So God may ask us to go to our Nineveh equivalent to preach his word. He asks us to love our enemies as well. You know, next week we're moving into chapter 4 where it's clear Jonah has a real issue with God's mercy towards his enemies. We all love the stories of whole-scale revival like this. Yet on the other hand, we can suffer from a heart that doesn't want to see all saved. Only those we perhaps want to see saved. That is not the way this revival thing works. We are called to go to all nations and preach the good news. This is what Jesus taught in Luke 6. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get the same amount back. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Who are these enemies? Jew, I've got no enemies. What Jesus is referring to is anyone who mistreats us. The Ninevites were Gentiles outside the covenant who were horrible and mistreated everyone. And Jonah, as we'll see soon, had no desire to see them saved. We need to ask the Spirit to do a work in us. Make sure there is nothing holding us back from sharing the gospel for similar reasons with people in our lives today. But look, I want to finish on a high because this miracle is incredible. A God so merciful, a God so gracious that a land full of sin could repent and receive blessing and grace and not the punishment they deserved. In some ways, I'm sure revival and spiritual awakening like this can take many shapes and sizes. But by definition, it's rightly a sovereign work of God. And I pray we see more of them. No matter how unwilling Jonah was, he could not thwart God's plan to have his truth proclaimed and the Ninevites receive his saving message. The Ninevites not only believed Jonah's message, but they proved their fear of God and demonstrated their faith through their outward actions. The Ninevites ended up living out the command that John the Baptist gave when he was preaching. We're called to live it out. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. The Ninevites received Jonah's message with sincerity and in city-wide totality. Something that had never been seen before and rarely since. But my prayer is that it's bettered. How incredible would it be for the revival of Cardiff to be used in the same sentence as this one? Shall we pray? Lord, thank you that you are 
an incredible God of mercy and of love. Lord, thank you that you just want to see every one of us saved and live a life that flourishes in relationship with you. Lord, we know that our sinful ways deserve your judgment, but thank you that you are a God who relents and provides us a way of escape of that punishment through your Son. Lord, we pray for hearts of this land to be softened to your words. We pray your spirit moves, opens our eyes to the sin inside. Give us the courage to repent of our sinful ways and turn to you and lead lives for you. Lord, thank you that your loving arms are just open to receive us and embrace us like a father embraces a child. Lord, let your spirit move in this city. Lord, we pray you bring revival in your almighty name. Amen.